Hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And this is one of those Fridays where the program changed on us. The top story in Idaho is the passing of Cecil Andrus, Idaho's only four-term governor, also the first Idahoan to ever serve in a presidential cabinet. He was interior secretary to President Carter. While a lot of Governor Andrus's considerable legacy centers on environmental issues from mining in central Idaho, the, the issue that launched him to the governor's uh, desk in 1970 to debates over wilderness and nuclear waste, his education legacy is also considerable as well. If you have a kid going to kindergarten this fall, uh, that legacy begins also with Governor Andrus. It took him several years to convince a Republican legislature to pass a kindergarten law, which became law in 1975. Also spent a lot of his political career and a lot of political capital fighting over education funding and fighting for education budgets, often at loggerheads with Republicans in the legislature. Yeah, and and Kevin, in your early days uh, covering the legislature, uh, you covered Governor Andrus. Mm -hmm. Uh, you, You were there for some of those sessions. Uh, share a few memories. Tell me, yeah. tell me a few stories uh, from your days in the trenches uh, covering Governor Andrus. Okay, so this is where I get to be the old guy podcaster, <laughs> right? But a couple of memories really struck me and, and stick out in my mind as, as I think about this this morning. Uh, the first is 1987. So this was uh, Governor Andrus's first year of his second tour of duty as governor. He, he returned to Idaho, returned to the governor's office in 1986. So this was his first legislative session the second time around as governor. Um, It was my second year covering the legislature. I was working for the Idaho State Journal in Pocatello at the time. And the big issue that year, one of the big issues uh, of that pretty historic legislative session, one of the big issues that year was education funding, the education budget. And the governor was at odds with Republicans in the legislature over the education budget, uh, how much money uh, the state was going to put into education that year. So the governor took his case to the road, and he booked an appearance at the Idaho Falls Chamber of Commerce, which will never be mistaken for the Democratic Central Committee, right. <laughs> as we both know. We both worked in Idaho Falls. A pretty conservative crowd uh, went over there and called out Republican legislators by name and said, these are legislators in your district, in your hometown, who are blocking me on this education budget, who are blocking, you know, education spending that I think is necessary for the state. So he took this case to the road, uh, went over in a state plane, invited me and Chuck Malloy, who was the political reporter for the Post Register at the time, invited us to tag along, which is, you know, great FaceTime. I mean, to get into the, to have that kind of time in a plane with the governor is a wonderful opportunity that any reporter is going to jump at. But that was, but the speech itself, I think, speaks a lot to the governor's flair and his abilities as a as a politician. I mean, you're a Democrat in a largely Republican statehouse. You know you have to fight by whatever means necessary when you're in the minority to to get your to get your point across, to 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 score some points on issues that you care about. And as I recall, I don't remember the exact dollar figure, but that education budget came out pretty close to what uh, the governor uh, Governor Andrus had pushed for in the first place. So. Uh, it was effective. I mean, it, it certainly probably helped his cause to to make that case 
in a hostile crowd, in a hostile community, and, and really try to bring allies in the community to his side. So that's one story that really uh, that really resonates with me. Another one was a few years later, uh, when I was in Idaho Falls, I was covering the nuclear waste issue, which was a national topic in the late 80s and early 90s, and a divisive topic in eastern Idaho. Uh, Governor Andrus was pushing for uh, cleanup at the site and was blocking uh, waste shipments into Idaho. This drew national media attention. But in Idaho Falls, a lot of the concern was about the rhetoric and about the the blockage of shipments and whether that was going to compromise the site's ability to get contracts, to maintain jobs. I mean, it was it was a pocketbook issue in Idaho Falls, uh, not as much of a right. political or environmental issue. So covering that issue, it was my job to kind of sort through all of this. And so I uh, came up to the governor when he was speaking at a chamber function and asked him a couple of questions. And yeah, they were pretty pointed questions, but I thought they were questions that had to be asked about the, uh, the, the position that he was taking. And he, uh, he let me have it. <laughs> he, uh, he, he cussed me out in front of the, uh, the director of the Chamber of Commerce there. And now, this is a family he, podcast, Kevin. Be careful. I don't here. remember the exact <laughs> words, but uh, he, he let his opinions be known about what I was asking and, and how I was asking it, I think. And, and I think about that a lot, and we talk a lot, and we think about that a lot now as journalists, this relationship between journalists and politicians, which is worrisome right now. And it's downright scary when you think about some of what's been going on about this. But the thing with that interplay with with Governor Andrus was that it was genuine. You know, I knew exactly where he was coming from. There was no, you know, no ambiguity. You right. know, I, I knew where he was on this. And, you know, I don't think my access to him or my relationship to him was was compromised in the long haul. It was it was genuine, it was in the moment, and it was born out of his sincere belief in what he was trying to do on the on this nuclear waste issue. And you know, I think about what's happening with the relationship with journalists and reporters and, and journalists and politicians right now. And I will take that kind of genuine interplay and that kind of back and forth, even if it gets heated and profane, I'll take that because it comes from from someplace genuine. And, uh, you know, that I'm fine with. And I think that speaks a lot to his passion as a, as a politician and you know, his, his genuine nature, his, 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 and yes, his ability to communicate. Because there was no question where he was, where his head was uh, at that interview. So those are a couple of anecdotes that kind of jumped to mind during, you know, his time as governor when I was covering it. Now, I... I... I know that probably wasn't the last time you've been cussed out by a politician, but was that one of your first times? Do you remember? Was that one of the early... uh... I was a lot younger then, and it wasn't the first time, but I think what it it reminded me, and it's a lesson all reporters learn at some point, is, you know, this is supposed to be an adversarial relationship. We're supposed to ask tough questions and go out and get answers, and then... Then we're supposed to come back uh, the next time and, you know, the slate's supposed to be clean and we'll, we go and we do it again. That's uh, the relationship. And I think uh, Governor Andrus got that. He understood that. And at the heart of it, he really respected and appreciated the role that we were playing as journalists. And, and he kind of enjoyed the back and forth and he enjoyed the banter. And sometimes even when the banter got heated, you know, he, he relished it. 
and, and appreciated that it's part of the, the checks and balances. And, and I think sometimes that gets lost in a lot of the, the rhetoric right now between uh, politicians and journalists. But, you know, this wasn't just something that he lived when he was in office. I mean, and, and Clark, you saw this years later. In, in 2013, you covered a speech that the, the governor delivered in which you talked about education issues with about as much passion with about the same kind of fervor that I heard in 1987 when he was governor speaking at the Chamber of Commerce in Idaho Falls. Talk about your experience in 2013. Yeah, the, yeah. this was the first time that uh, I had really met Governor Andrus and, and had a chance to listen to him speak and I got to talk to him afterwards. But he was accepting an award uh, from the Idaho Voices from, for Children nonprofit. He was receiving their Children's Champion Award, and, and I read it like kind of a, a lifetime achievement award for his fight for education funding, and in particular, um, his push to, to launch kindergarten in the state of Idaho. That was something that was celebrated and honored that day. Uh, but a couple of things struck me at that event. Right off the bat, before Governor Andrus even spoke, and then again after, he received this sustained standing ovation from the crowd. This was not just... Um, your local politician comes to the Chamber of Commerce and and people stand up and politely uh, applaud for, right, for a moment. Clap. I mean, this was from the heart. This this was genuine. Uh, people loved Governor Andrus, and, and, and that was really uh, apparent. And I think the reason they loved him is because of that fighting spirit uh, that you mentioned. The IVC people, uh, they gave Governor Andrus... Um, like a championship belt, like that a prize fighter would get, like yeah. a boxing champion's belt, and he held it high above his head, uh, like he had just won a fight. And, and we have he, a photo of him well, with the right. belt, and I know at news.org we pulled that out uh, for the story that we have. On, and and right off the bat, he, he came out swinging, and I think that's why people liked him. He said, "You know what? I think I'm going to offend some people here today, including some state legislators." And tough. He said, I sat here a while ago and I heard education is our highest priority. Well, if education is our highest priority, then we have to put our money where our mouth is. And Governor Andrus was pushing for several things that I think are becoming the present and the future of education in Idaho. This is 2013, and he was talking uh, about pushing for third grade reading scores, uh, for students to be reading at grade level and beyond by third grade. That's something that the legislature just uh, jumped on board with a, a year or two ago, so and that's a major... a lot about, about the reading scores and the reading initiative. I mean, yeah. That, that was something that he was pushing in, in 2013. He also uh, called on the state uh, to support pre-K, to launch a pre-K program in the state of Idaho. And he said, quote, why we are here today is because of children, as we all know, are our greatest resource. We have a responsibility. We have an obligation to protect them in all manner. And, and people love that. And, and that was, you know, I was too young to, I wasn't even in the state of Idaho uh, while he was governor. I was too young uh, to be paying attention to know about him at that point. So I found out after the fact. Uh, but that was just my impression of him is that he was still fighting and still pushing that message uh, low those decades later, mm -hmm. uh, and the people were responding to him. That well, at least the crowd in that room loved him. And, and it's really interesting what you bring up about pre-K and what he was saying in 2013. And we we were talking about this off mic before we started the podcast, that what passed in 1975, the kindergarten law, um, definitely there are limitations to oh, what's yeah. in that law. It's optional. It's half day. Now, you have a lot of schools and a lot of districts that are doing full day, but it's not required. I mean, nothing's required in terms of kindergarten. And you suspect that if Idaho ever does go the route of a pre-K program, 
it will probably be something fairly similar. It will probably be optional. It will probably be limited in scope. It may be a pilot program that's been talked about in past legislative sessions. I, I think, again, it goes to Governor Andrus's approach as a politician, um, the old saw about how politics is the art of the possible. I, I wasn't here in 1975. There are things that actually predate me, and this is one. <laughs> yeah. But I suspect... Um, from what I, you weren't covering the territorial legislation. No, we wouldn't go there. You know, turn the mic off. You know, but but I suspect, knowing what I know about Andrus's uh, political approach from what I saw the second time around, was that that first time around, he and his staff probably looked at it and said, you know, this is what we can get from this legislature, and it's better than nothing, and it's progress to to get a kindergarten program in this state, even with the limitations that have to be attached to it. So. Yeah, a very rich legacy, and and a you know, and a very it's it's just a somber day for Idaho politics because uh, his his personality and his accomplishments um, really you know are getting you know the, he was one of those politicians who really sort of transcended uh, a lot of labels. I mean, he was he was a Democrat, but he was a logger, and he was an avid outdoorsman who loved to talk about hunting and fishing, and was. Uh, active in that until you know the very end of his life so kind of one of those larger than life individuals and and it's it is a somber day in idaho politics yeah thank you so much uh for sharing your war stories your stories from the (laughs) thank you listeners for indulging from the trenches from those uh legislative sessions if you want to uh find out a little bit more about governor andrews if you want to see that photo uh, of him with the Children's Champions belt. Head on over to IdahoEdNews.org. Uh, Kevin, you wrote uh, a piece this morning uh, talking about the governor uh, and his passing. You also link back to that piece that I did from October 2013 mm-hmm. where he won uh, the Children's Champions Award. So you can head over to our website, and uh, if you want to learn a little bit more uh, about the governor, uh, check that out for sure. Let's shift focus to a couple of issues that did emerge this week. And again, these are issues that we'll we'll hit on quickly out of interest of time, but you can catch more details at our website at edoednews.org. But we did want to start by getting you caught up on the debate over master teacher premiums. This is something that came up at the state board meeting earlier this month. We have a, a guest opinion on that topic that's generated a lot of discussion and a lot of buzz. Get us caught up on the latest on this, Clark, because this is an issue you were watching Closely. Sure. The master educator premium is designed to kind of be uh, a salary bonus above and beyond the career ladder, which is the state's ongoing plan to increase funding for teacher pay. Uh, a big part of the career ladder has been investing uh, in sort of the uh, bottom uh, at teachers at the very beginning portions and through the middle portions of their career to aid in sort of uh, recruitment and retention mm-hmm. of, of younger teachers. Uh, but some of the teachers across the state have said that uh, the career ladder is great for younger teachers, but it doesn't do enough to help those veteran teachers, those right. long-serving teachers. And originally, the, there was kind of a higher-end proposal for the salary at the top end of the career ladder. Go up to 60000 which... That got cut back mm-hmm. as part of a political compromise to get it passed. And so um, right now, the state is moving forward. We will see this during the upcoming 2018 legislative session with the Master Educator Premium. That's a salary bonus for... The absolute best and brightest rock star teachers, your experienced teachers, and what we're talking about is a $4,000 financial award for three years for the teachers who qualify, and there's been a lot of interest in this. 
and uh, understandably so. Uh, but there was a guest opinion this week from Levi Kavanagh, who's a teacher, I, I believe, from the Caldwell School District, mm-hmm. a special yeah. education teacher, a guy who's really engaged and, and follows education issues closely. And uh, he's kind of talking about uh, this program. But uh, there's a couple of things that I'm just cleaning up just a little bit with an article uh, on Friday. And it's about this issue of who will qualify for these master educator premiums. Levi wrote his piece kind of couching it that the state only believes that there are 374 great teachers in the state of Idaho, that there's this report that concluded that. And I want to be real clear that um, right now, as this educator premium thing is being laid out, there's no cap or there's no limit on the number of teachers that would get this award. Yes, Levi's right that it's designed so that not everyone will get it, uh, so that only a small number of teachers will get it. But for teachers that have the eight years of experience in their professional career and that meet the different criteria outlined by the state, if there's 450 or 511 or 700 teachers that meet those criteria, as things stand right now, all of those teachers would get the financial bonus. So I just wanted to point out uh, that there's not a cap uh, on the number of teachers. That Where he got that number, the 374 uh, it's based after a similar program in Ohio mm-hmm. where right. 2% of teachers qualified for the award. And so they kind of extrapolated that out based well, on Idaho numbers. Like Idaho but it's a ballpark estimate. It's not a firm cap. Uh, but we're going to have a lot more reporting on the Master Educator Premium on that financial incentive uh, both on Friday of this week and then as we get closer to the legislative session and then certainly in the legislative session. Uh, so keep a lookout on our site. I, I know there will be a lot of interest uh, among taxpayers and among educators across the state in this program, how it's rolled out, how people will qualify, um, how it's handled from district to district. And uh, we're, we're going to make a commitment uh, to cover that closely. Uh, me and you and our Eastern Idaho reporter, Devin Bodkin, will play a big role in this coverage. So so stay tuned. Uh, but uh, it's very much a policy issue uh, that's going to be front and center in the coming months. Yeah, sounds good. And Kevin, you had uh, kind of an interesting political story this week involving Boise State University President Bob Kustra and a little dust-up with Idaho uh, Representative Raul Labrador. Uh, Shots were fired, figuratively speaking. What happens? (laughs) Well, it it all kind of goes back to uh, President Kustra's State of the University address in mid-August in which uh, Kustra called out Congressman Labrador over his response to the uh, the Charlottesville uh, protests and then the, the fatal protests in, in Charlottesville. Um, that did not sit well with Congressman no. Labrador, who uh, took to talk radio on Monday and suggested that maybe it's time for Custer to go. So, subtle, yeah. No, there was no there was no subtlety there at all. Um, and, you know, a, a battle between a sitting congressman and a univer- university president would be interesting political fodder and, and, and make for good copy under any circumstance. But it's really interesting in this case because, you know, let's face it, uh, Congressman Labrador is aspiring to be the next governor. Yeah. Uh, the next governor, whoever that turns out to be, is going to have a lot of sway over education funding, higher education funding. Uh, the next governor will be able to cycle in new appointees or holdover appointees to the State Board of Education. And we've seen this. The State Board, every year, reviews the performance of university presidents. So uh, a governor can do a lot of things that can make a university president's life really, really difficult. So this whole dust-up between uh, these two 
very powerful individuals is definitely worth watching. I mean, you know, not just Labrador's political power, but, you know, Bob Kustra has been president of Boise State University now for 14 years. He's the longest serving university president in the state system. He also runs the largest university in the state, which just happens to be in the state capital, you know, about a mile or so away from the state house. So, one of the largest employers uh, in the city and the county. He presided over the university as it kind of came into its own in the way that we know it yeah. uh, today. Uh, so certainly a lot of cloud on both sides right. of this. Folks uh, with, with powerful allies on, on both sides. So really interesting stuff emerging uh, this week and, and certainly something that we'll want to visit further. Uh, I did an interview a couple of weeks ago with, with Tommy Alquist, the one of the gubernatorial candidates. I'm meeting, I have a scheduled meeting next week with Lieutenant Governor Brad Little. I also have an interview lined up uh, next month with Congressman Labrador to talk about his education positions. So um, definitely going to want to talk to him more about that. I don't think I'm spilling the beans or, or giving him any uh, advanced fodder. I think uh, this is obviously something I'll want to talk to him further about. Stay tuned, and if you get cussed out again, uh, let us know. Won't you keep us posted? <laughs> we, we, we will. We'll, we'll see if it goes there, but, uh, we'll, you know, All right. Well, one more topic I want to get to. Most people, Kevin, probably don't know this, uh, but next uh, next week there's an election uh, in the state of Idaho in certain counties and school districts, right? Tell me a little bit uh, about what you're watching out for and where folks can find coverage come next Wednesday morning. A little bit limited, but Tuesday is another round of school elections. It's one of the four days when uh, schools can go to voters with bond issues or or levies. Only a handful in, in, on the ballot this time around, but the biggest one is in the Madison School District over in eastern Idaho. They're seeking about $27 million in bonds. Uh, also got some bond issues going on around the state. Uh, Shoshone, Sugar Salem, uh, Grace in extreme southeast Idaho, yep. uh, in the corner of southeast Idaho, they have one. Supplemental levy also in the Middleton District. So we'll keep an eye on those results. Uh, we'll have the full wrap-up of what happened on Wednesday. All right, sounds good. I know that you and our Eastern Idaho reporter, Devin Bodkin, will have good coverage. So on Wednesday morning, like you said, head over to IdahoEdNews.org and check out the coverage uh, and for the results of the bond issues and proposals that matter in your school district. As always, thank you so much for listening to the Extra Credit Podcast. We really have a lot of fun here. Uh, for all of our latest breaking news, you can connect with us on social media if you want to follow at Idaho Ed News on Twitter. We break all of our stories there, and we do uh, some live tweeting and have some fun over there. But thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Extra Credit Podcast. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.